Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today's episode 182, and we've got part two kind of of an interview we already did with Jordan. So we're having her back on the podcast. How are you, young lady? I'm doing great. Um, quarantine sucks, but life is life. <laughs> yes, you have someone in uh, where you're living has COVID, right? Yes, and it's been a... Uh... This is now the third time that my house, my sober living house, uh, for those who don't know, I'm in sober living. Um, this is the third time in three, almost three and a half months that we've been quarantined. Um, so it, there's like this little joke going around right now that we're the quarantine house. So, but it is what it is. Um, I just take it as a time to stop and reflect. You know, uh, we do daily reflections and stuff in our groups. So I'm taking this time to just kind of pause and slow down a little bit, recenter myself. All right. Well, we were talking before what what, what we're going to be talking about. So give us a thought of some of like your patterns and behaviors. What was your life like before you were sober and what led you to sobriety? Like, tell us about if you ever got in trouble, if you, I think you mentioned before you might have a criminal history. So tell us about stuff like that. Okay. So, um, as you know, um, addict, the life of addiction is nothing but a vicious cycle. Once you're in it, it is very hard to get out. Um, you know, first and foremost, the person has to want it. Um, cause if you don't want it, there's no point in even, um, in my opinion, um, we use my I statements here. I personally feel down that I'm 102 days clean and working my program, um, if you don't really want it, you're not going to take anything from it. You're going to walk in to whatever recovery center you go into or whatever um, type of treatment you feel you need. And you're not going to hear anything they're setting down at the table for you. Um, so for me, yes, I do have a criminal history and I'm not proud of it, but it did shape who I am today. Um, so um, when I first started using, um, I was drinking alcohol. Um, and we talked about that in the last podcast. Um, it got to the point where, um, like I said, I was waking up to a fifth of Jack as my breakfast because I was withdrawing. I was shaking. I had the sweats. My skin was crawling. And anybody out there who is in alcohol addiction or has felt alcohol addiction withdraw, um, you know, you feel it as well. Um, but it got to the point where I was running low on resources. Um for money at this point. Um, I had quit my job at the club by this point. Um, I had started um, also using um, black tar heroin um, and it's not cheap. It's cheaper than most drugs, but um, I had also ruined a lot of relationships with my family um, out there. So they didn't trust me with money. Uh, some of them didn't even trust me in the house because it came to a point where I was sneaking into liquor cabinets um, while I was there. And, um, I noticed at family events also that they were kind of like not trying to bring out the alcohol as much because they knew if I was going to be there, that I was going to drink and I was going to end up intoxicated. Now, if it went good or bad, that depends on the scenario that was around me. Were they trying to protect you or were they worried about being embarrassed by something you did? No, they were trying to protect me. Um, so that's a good thing. Yeah. So like, for example, there was uh, one point at one point um, I was at my uh, extended cousin's house and my uh, son Calvin was outside with his other cousin and they have a pool. Now it's gated, it's locked, 
but they had just taken the chicken wire down from at the bottom. And I'm looking out the window and I'm like, I'm already weary about him being outside without me. And um, I'm looking and he is on the other side of the pool and um, kind of doing like a little tug of war thing going on. And his hand slipped out of her hand and he fell into the pool. Oh, and no. yeah. And um, I don't think I've ever ran and jumped over a fence so quick in my life. Um, and I jumped in the pool after him. I got out. He was fine. I was more shaken up than he was. And my aunt, um, although she know, knew that I had a problem, you know, I was kind of starting in with my other drugs and addiction. Um, so she asked me, because it was pretty cold. Um, the pool was already closed at that point. She had asked me, do you want a drink? And I looked at her and I was like, um, she's like, do you want a shot? And she poured me a double. I took it to warm me up. And that led into another week long of drinking. But um, so my family did it to try to protect me. But um, at the same time, um, I burned those own bridges myself. Um, I started stealing money. Like you could not leave your wallet out around me. Um, if there was, I mean, I wouldn't. I wasn't to the point where I was taking credit cards or anything, but if there was cash. I was taking it. If you left change in your car, I was taking it. Um, and if you were in my inner circle of friends or um, in a relationship with me at the time and didn't want me driving, don't leave your car keys around me. Um, because I was by any and all means necessary, I was getting to whatever I needed to get to. And um, I remember uh, once I was on heroin and drinking, um, I went to a very dark place and I was actually taking my ex-fiance's debit card uh, out of his wallet while he was sleeping, getting in my car, running to the bank, taking out money and putting it back. Now in my head, I'm like, oh, I got this. And no one's catching on to this. Well, I didn't realize he had set up um, the alert every time you draw from the bank account that it would alert his phone. And it was started doing that. And he started asking me and questioning me, you know, uh, one morning he woke up and he was actually sitting in the living room when I came home with the card in my pocket and money in my pocket. And he's like, where'd you go? And I was like, uh, to the store. And he's like, you know, Jordan, don't lie to me. Where did you go? And I told him, he just asked for his card back, gave him the card. And that was the day I got kicked out of the house. And um, so here I am driving my car and um, I get pulled over. Um, I, I have my license, but it was, uh, suspended at the time. So I wasn't supposed to be driving cause I got caught driving without insurance back. Um, it was, I think I had been working for that real estate lawyer. I talked about in the last episode for about a year, um, right after I got the second car from him. Um, and I was supposed to register that car under my name, the second one. And I never did any of that. So by the time I went to the BMB, they're like, um, we don't have any paperwork. Like, where did this car come from? So um, they tried to get me for Grand Theft Auto. Um, luckily, I was able to plea out on that. Uh, not guilty. And um, they put something in the description about miscommunication between the public defender and me. Um, but I got let out from that. But I also, and I hate saying this because it's really embarrassing now that I'm sober. Um, I have a lot of theft charges. Um, I have a lot of um, uh, receiving stolen property charges as well. Um, 
so when I came to Columbus is when my, my criminal record really, really got bad. Um, I would go to certain stores and I, me and the person I was with at the time, we would still gain controllers. And uh, this is like when the wireless ones were coming out. So they were really popular. Excuse me. I would go from one store and literally in the same shopping plaza, there was a GameStop. And um, I would go in and I would turn those game controllers in for cash. And I can say that now because, you know, those cases are closed and stuff. So I'm free to talk about them. Um, so I was going to any and every little game computer store whatever I could find and taking these controllers uh you know there were a couple times I got my hands on game systems and um little did I know that there was a detective following me around the whole time and um I had just had my second son and I was pregnant with the third right before their dad went to jail and uh the detective knocked on my door and I don't know who this person is so I'm just sitting there at home and I opened the door and here comes my boyfriend at the time down the stairs. He's like, don't let them in their cops. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't really know anything about the law right at that point. You know what I mean? Um, so they are sitting there in the door and they're like, you know, are you so-and-so? And I'm like, yeah, that's me. Um, they're like, you know, did you, were you at target on this day and this day? And they had like three or four different cases against me. Um, for receiving stolen property, um, criminal theft, and criminal trespass, because I'd been caught trying to steal before with them, or at Target, and they had banned me from the store, and I went back in anyway, because uh, you couldn't tell me anything. I'm an addict. I'm going to get what I want, and um, so when that came about, um, I ended up pleading guilty to it. Um, they put me in a theft diversion class, which is where you go, and uh, excuse me, and uh, where you just go and you do X amount of uh, hours in a class on basically how not to steal. What, do, know. You, what do they teach you? If you know, I got like how not to steal. What, did, what kind of stuff do they actually talk about in class? So they, they talk about like the behavior um, and where I'm, where I'm living at now um, in Columbus, because this is where I had, where I took the theft diversion class as well. Um, they know that a lot of the thefts in the stores are drug related. You know, uh, the people who are stealing are drug addicts. Um, and at the time I was just like, Ooh, I'm going to say I'm an addict and get in this class and get off real easy. I wish I would have taken the class serious because they actually talk about the behaviors and the consequences, um, as to why we're stealing and everything. And basically, um, what triggers us in the store to want to steal um, I got about halfway through that class and I just tuned it out. Like, I'm like, I'm just here for the courts. I'm not, I'm not paying attention to any of it. So I really can't tell you the whole thing, but I do know that they teach you the, um, uh, consequences if, you know, you continue to criminally trespass or, you know, um, if they had like basically the good behavior you need to have in order to not steal. Like if you feel, um, if you feel like you're going to steal just to walk out um, or, and, and at the time it sounded crazy to me. I'm like, I'm not listening to this. You know what I mean? I was getting high right after I got out of class. So um, I did complete the class. I don't know how though, but I did got my little certificate, gave it to the judge. And um, 
So that's when my criminal record started, like really getting it like a, like a, what do you call it? A um, arrest record going. Um, so theft has always been a part of my criminal record. Um, but criminal trespass became uh, pretty popular on there as well. Um, so at the, like the last year or two of my addiction, um, me and my baby dad that I have now that I talked about, um, we were homeless. Um, we were sleeping on porches um, to abandoned houses. We were breaking into abandoned, abandoned houses. We were breaking into abandoned um, garages, wherever. And there was one point where um, we were in this abandoned uh, warehouse and it was just right off the freeway. And we were there for, I was there for about a year. He had already been there for a year prior. So, but inside this abandoned warehouse, there was running electricity. Um, and we had a way to get in and out pretty quick. Um, long story short, uh, the landlord came by saw people were in there called the cops and we had this like little contraption for the for the window and we thought we were geniuses we're macgyvers when we're in our addiction we give us a match and a piece of string and we'll make you a roller coaster but uh so um we had this little contraption to hold the this piece of wood up up against the window and my hand got caught up in the string so mind you, the landlord's on one side talking to the Columbus Police Department, and I'm on the other side trying to hide out of sight. And my uh, baby daddy and his ex-girlfriend were in, they're in the back part of the warehouse, like laying down, like they're not going to get in. Next thing I know, luckily I know a little bit of Spanish. I hear the maintenance guy pull up as well, and they're talking, and I'm like, guys, they're calling the cops. Like, what are we going to do? I'm stuck. They're on the other end. There's no other way out but this window. And um, CPD comes up and, you know, they're shining their light. And I'm oblivious. <laughs> I'm like, nope, they can't see me. And my hand, I'm still trying to, like, jiggle my hand out. And mind you, I'm not thinking that they can hear every little move I'm making on the other side. So I get my hand out. And as I'm doing this, they're getting ready to pull the front door off with a truck. So I pull the door off and in comes CPD and I'm like ducked down at this point under blankets and they're, you know, announcing themselves like they're supposed to. I don't respond. And then they put their light on me and then I'm like, okay, I know I'm caught. I mean, I'm a redhead. It's kind of hard to hide. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. So I stand up and, you know, luckily I didn't get tackled or tasered um, because at that point I'm, at that point, I didn't realize it, but I was opposing an imminent threat to the police because uh, I didn't know if I had a weapon or anything. So anyway, they're cuffing me. They're taking me out. They get my baby dad. They get his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, and then they come out. Uh, we get released because at the time, I didn't have any pending charges or any warrants or anything. So they let me go. They let him go. She had to go do some time because she had a warrant. But um, I was criminally trespassed from that building. Um and just a whole long spree of two years worth of theft charges started popping up. Um, I was at one point banned from Walmart. Um, I would go in and get whatever I needed and go and sell it to whoever. Um, there are certain department stores that um, I'm trying to work with to 
show them that I'm working on my sobriety and that the actions I did against my community, I'm, I'm, I'm still having to pay for, um, you know, they say, you know, we're great, you know, we're glad you're in recovery, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't solidify any of the damage that you caused to, you know, the business. Um, so there are still some sores that I'm not comfortable going in yet. Um, I don't get triggered or anything by them, but I just, I, I still hold a little bit of that shame and guilt inside as an addict, like, man, I really fucked up with this company. Um, and then also, um, I was also getting high while I was, um, on these little theft sprees, so to speak. Um, so a lot of the time I got caught, I usually had a needle on me because, um, I spoke on it before I'm an IV drug user. So a lot of the time they would find needles, um, because where I'm from, they have the harm reduction program and um, you can go and turn in your old needles for clean ones safely and all that and get, you know, all the little whatever's you need for it. Um, but um, there was actually a point where they hit me, tried to hit me with a drug possession charge because one of the needles I had was actually loaded. Um, they caught me in the middle of my little spree one day and uh I was actually on the way to go and get high before I went into the store it was like a ritual for me get high go steal go go sell it and then go get high again um and so uh, luckily um once I after all these charges piled up I've got warrants going in and out and I mean I'm in and out of jail constantly um and it actually became embarrassing um for me to go back to jail so many times that you start recognizing the guards um, and they start recognizing you and can pronounce your last name finally, you know? <laughs> um, but um, a lot of people down the justice system and I did for a really long time as well. But this, the last two rounds I was in jail, it did something to me. It at least planted the seed in my head of recovery and sobriety. How long um, were you in jail each time? <clears throat> um, so I was usually anywhere from anywhere from a thirty to sixty day, uh, so like one or two months. Um, the longest stretch I did was seventy five days, and that was between two different counties. I had theft charges here in Franklin County, but I also had theft charges in Delaware County. And Delaware doesn't play around about that. Um, you get caught shoplifting at their mall out there. You're not getting the cops. You're getting the sheriff's department. And so um, a lot of my charges would pop up right around the holidays as well. Um, so another part of this is um, there is a term called a booster um, for people who steal from stores and either sell it to the dope man or sell it to, you know, the local corner stores or whatever. Um, and we were doing that as well. And it's stupid stuff like candy and pop and, you know, just these little things, unless you know the store owner, then they're asking for like, you know, Jordans, Nike outfits. And, and it got to that point to where I was walking into shoe stores and walking out with, you know, Jordans and I go into the Nike store and I was walking out with all these Nike outfits, how I got away with it half the time. I don't know. A lot of the time it was, I go to the dressing room and I put all these clothes on and then throw my baggy shirt on over it and I'd walk out. Um, it got to the point where even if a sensor went off as I was walking out, I just kept walking. 
And um, that's how I got caught a lot of the time too. Um, just being arrogant about it, you know. I was going to say, it's amazing the confidence us addicts have sometimes just doing the wrong Some shit. Some stuff. Yeah. So, um, so I had the drug abuse instrument charges on me. Um, I had criminal, th- uh, uh, criminal trespassing, excuse me, um, theft, petty theft. Um, I had a couple of drug possession charges they were trying to put on me. Um, and then once I got into the streets, like real hard, um, and me and my baby dad at the time weren't talking anymore. Like I was on my own at this point. And I mean, I could go and steal and boost and whatever, but I want, I'm an addict. I want quick money. Like I want it now. So that's when I started uh, prostituting. Uh, Excuse me. That's when I started prostituting. And um, lo and behold, I mean, I got away with it for about a year and a half. Um, I've said it so many times because I have unfortunately interviewed a lot of people who turned to prostitution. That must be so fucking scary. It is. Like and I you can't know, imagine because yeah. you're in a vulnerable position. You t- nine times out of ten, a man is bigger than you and stronger, and you're doing something illegal. So it's not like you can call the cops if he assaults you. Exactly. I mean, so you can, but you'll get in trouble also. You can get in trouble for it. Um. So I know that here in Franklin County, and I don't know about other counties. Um. If you are prostituting and you get yourself into a situation where you're, you feel threatened or you feel like you're about to be raped or whatever, um, they actually will, they actually encourage the females on, um, on the block to call them because they will help. Um, that's great. Yeah. I actually remember, um, one of the girls that I knew, um, very well, actually, I was coming out of a friend's house and we were getting ready to go walk the block and make some money. And I hear this girl screaming like at the top of her lungs. And I'm like, where is that coming from? And I knew all the females out there fairly well. So I I was freaking out that it was somebody I knew. Um, And my friend is in the car and this guy is like attacking her and she's kicking and screaming. And she had taken money back from him that he had, obviously paid for services and she was trying to dip out with his money but we ended up calling the cops um well not us but the bar around the area we were in called and um the cops wanted her to stay but she was so scared more so about getting in trouble than her own safety and and that baffled me because the cops were like look tell her she's not in trouble we just need a description of this guy because the female's out here where I'm at, I'm sure it happens all over the country and all over the world, were coming up missing. And and their bodies were being found on the railroad track where people used to go up and get high at. Um, you know, so it I mean it's really scary um to think a lot about of these it. killers think that no one's gonna miss a prostitute. Exactly. You know, they're like, oh well, you know, this is just a prostitute. Nobody's gonna go looking for them. Well the thing is people were looking for these people. Um and for about, I think it was like two or three summers in a row, we had girls coming up missing and body after body after body was being found up on the railroad tracks uh, here in Franklin County. Now that and must have been terrifying also. It I was. Could... Well, 
I mean, you would think it would be enough to scare someone straight, you know what I mean? But it didn't. Um, a lot of us girls on the block, you know, we partnered up. We never went anywhere alone for a very long time. We carried pepper spray and knives on us. Um, but that still, it doesn't, it doesn't prepare you for what could actually happen. Um, I uh, was in a situation at one point where I had to actually physically use my pepper spray on someone and pull my knife out and be like, look, if you don't let me go, this is going to get serious. And um, luckily, what happened? The guy what happened that you had to pull your knife and spray him? The guy was trying to force himself on me. Um, he was just being very aggressive. I got very uncomfortable with it. And I said, you know, hey, look, I don't think this is going to work out. Um, can, can you take me back? Or, you know, let me out and I'll walk back home, you know, just, I'm sorry for your, wasting your time, but this isn't going to work out. And he wasn't okay with that. And he's tried to force himself on me. And I luckily knew a little bit of self-defense. Um, and I elbowed him in his rib and I had my pepper spray on my hip on one of those, um, kind of like a lighter leash almost. And I sprayed him and I took my knife out and I was like, look, if you don't let me go and unlock this door. And like, I'm like putting my knife in, like, I'm going to cut you. Like, let me, the, let me the hell out of here. And he, uh, after swinging a couple more times and um, he elbowed me in the jaw at one point, but I ended up getting out. Um, the door came unlocked and I ended up getting out. But even at that point, even once you're out of the car, you're still having to run away from your perpetrator. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So here I am dipping and dodging in the middle of the night and in my head, I I had drugs on me at the time too. So I'm like, now I really can't get a hold of the cops. Um, and I had a warrant too. That was another thing. Um, warrants kept popping up on me. So anytime I felt like I needed the, the police, I never called because I knew that they were going to run a 50 on me and run a 50 on me and I'm going to jail and I'm not going to jail and getting dope sick. It's not happening. Um, so, uh, you know, any, any female who is watching right now, you know, there, there are good cops out there, you know, there are cops out there who do what they're supposed to and, and, uh, they take their job very seriously. Um, but here in Franklin County, I can see why some of the women on the streets are a little bit more scared, um, uh, because we've actually had police officers who have solicited as well and get away with it. We've had two girls, um, unfortunately pass away due to it. Um, they were shot by the uh, arresting officer um, because they didn't want to perform sexual favors on them. Um, so I, I get it. Um, it is super scary, but um, it's all shaped who I am today. Um, so this last little round that well, I spent in real, jail. Real quick, what positive qualities do you think you've gained from what you went through as a prostitute? um what positive qualities have I gained um well I have learned to that you can't trust everybody for one um you know and it really took me coming into my sobriety to really realize that because once you're out there you don't care your morals go out the window your values go down and your self-worth goes out the window um you know I I didn't care whose car I was getting in, even though I knew these girls were coming up missing and something could happen to me or I could be on the front page of the news one day. 
you know, and I, I never wanted that, but it never crossed my mind to stop either. Um, so once I got clean, I had to take a serious step back and reevaluate myself. And I'm still working on it today. You know, I am working on my self-worth, um, building myself up as a woman. Um, I'm trying to become a leader in my community. Um, I am trying to also become a victim's advocate for human trafficking. Um, there's just a lot of things that I'm trying to take the right steps to, to make uh, females more aware and males because, you know, there is a stereotype out there that prostitutes are only females and that is not true. Um, you know, there are male prostitutes out there as well and that are getting trafficked as well. It's not just females, um, you know, yeah, sex I've, has, I've never yeah. once heard of that. Yeah. Sex has no, it, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and just human, a human trafficker doesn't favor in male or female. It's where they can get their money from. Whatever sells. Whatever sells. Exactly. Which um, is terrible to say, but that's the way they think. Yeah. So um, on that note, um, because I am a human traffic survivor um, and I had a soliciting charge this last time I got caught, the one and only time I got caught, and it was the one time I went to jail before my birthday, it was the day before, my, bir my birthday is my clean date, 7-8-22, um, was the best day of my life. I hated it at the time. I was doing anything and everything I could to get talk the cop out of taking me down. But I had, I had nine different warrants that they wanted me for. So they're like, we have to take you. And I'm like, oh, but tomorrow's my birthday. And I probably sounded so stupid at the time, but um, I was trying to talk them out of it. And I know eventually I went down and I served a week. Um, and when I surrendered to programming, um, I got involved in, um, we have a drug court program here called Catch Court. Um, it's male and female, um, but again, it's mainly female. Actually, it's all females um, that are in this drug court. And it's a two-year-long um, drug court with probation attached to it. And um, it focuses on um, human trafficking, and it focuses on um, the whole prostitution part of it. Pretty much everybody in, uh, in this group has become a survivor or has a prostitution charge or a solicitation charge. So it's really cool to be in that group and see just all the women who are like me, you know what I mean? Like that I'm not alone in all this, that, you know, I may have done something wrong, but it doesn't define who I am. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm really working on my self-worth today and um, relearning everything because uh, I had talked about it with you before, you know, I raised myself pretty much from the age of 14 and on. Um, so I'm really having to look really deep and relearn everything, you know, about myself, things I didn't even know. Um, you know, like I thought my favorite color was blue and it's not my favorite color is pink. <laughs> um, you know, cause somebody always told me how to dress, where to go, what to say, um, and who to be around. So it's been a, a really big change for me, but coming to treatment was the best thing I ever did. And um, it does take somebody saying, I want this, I need this, I can do this. It can't be, you can't want it more for somebody than they want it for themselves. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, every person so, has to do it for themselves. That's absolutely 100% real. Yeah. And so when I surrendered to program, well, I could say it's surrender, like it's this horrible thing. But uh, once I finally gave into programming and, and everything, and I got sworn into a catch court because the judge actually swears you into drug court. And there are rules I have to abide by, uh, or I can get in trouble. Um, I had six out of my nine charges dropped, um, which was huge for me. Um, so three of them stuck. One is the solicitation charge because that qualifies me for catch court. And the other two were just criminal trespass charges that I got stuck with, but they will go away once I finish uh, drug court in a year and a half. So um, I'll be allowed back into certain stores again. Um, not that I ever want to go back into them, <laughs> um, but it's it's really amazing what what programming and working steps or getting a sponsor however you however that person works their recovery is beautiful tell us more about working through the steps okay so i normally am a one two three stepper and what that is is i admit i'm powerless over drugs and alcohol that my life had become unmanageable and that some type of power, higher power could restore me to sanity that's as far as i normally go so I'm in programming now, like I said, and I'm on my fourth step. I made it past step three and I'm working on step four with my, uh, with a sponsor right now. And what a, a sponsor is, is somebody who walks you through the steps. They break it down for you. They tell, you know, they show you how to apply it to your daily life. And that sponsor is also somebody who you call for anything and everything. <laughs> um, so to speak, um, like my sponsor I could be having the greatest day ever and I still call her and I could be having the worst day ever. I could be bawling in tears and I call her, I could be getting ready to scream at somebody and I call her and I love her to death because she, she really kicks me in my butt when I need it. Um, you know, she tells me to get out of my head a lot because that's a scary place to go by yourself is to be up in your head. Yeah. Um, you know, you spend too much time up in your head in addiction, and that's where a lot of it gets started. Is going in your head alone. Well, they got um, a old, they got that old saying: that an idle mind is the devil's playground. Yes, it is, and I agree one hundred percent with that. Um, you know, I I am uh, I'm religious, um, so I, my higher power is God. But you know, for the next person, that may not work for them, and it doesn't have to be. Or it doesn't have to start being God right away. As long as you, somebody can hold on to something greater than themselves that they can hold on to and look forward to every day to help pull them out of whatever they're in is their higher power. I had one girl tell me how a squirrel was her higher power. Because every time she'd go to do her like daily reflection or whatever, she'd always have this little squirrel in the backyard. And her sponsor was like, that's your higher power. And she's like, what are you talking about? A squirrel is not my higher power. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sitting there thinking and I'm like, well, you know, I was raised Christian and, you know, my mother was Catholic. My grandfather was Mormon. So I always knew about the Bible and everything, but I did struggle with it. Like I talked about um, due, due to sexual, physical and mental abuse in the family. Um, so I didn't identify with God for, for a minute, but when I became like, and I started coming around, started going to youth group and getting involved with the church again. And then I've always known God and I've always known God has walked with me. Um, 
but again, every time I overdosed or something, I always lost a little bit of myself and a little bit of my faith, but, uh, I got rebaptized last Sunday and, um, yes, I saw the video. That was awesome. Thank you. And it was, I did that for me. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, well you got rebaptized and that's fine. You don't have to get rebaptized. You don't even have to get baptized. I did that for me. That was kind of like a me washing off the old and letting in the new because I spent so long in drug addiction and living life on like literally living life on the streets and it was do or die. And I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. Uh, I saw a lot of things that I'm not proud of and that I wish I could forget. And, you know, I'm going to be starting um, EMDR. I don't know if you know what that is. No, I've never heard it. Actually, I, I've heard the, t- I, I forget what it is. What is it? So EMDR is um, basically, it, it's a type of therapy uh, for people who have been through trauma. And the way it was best described to me is, is when trauma happens to somebody. So our brain is like a filing system. And when trauma happens, your, your brain gets overloaded. Like it basically floods the system and you don't get to properly file anything away, like your emotions and your feelings at that time. So that's where PTSD and stuff comes in as well. Um, people haven't been able to properly process what happened or what event triggered that, that emotional response. So what EMDR does is it, they have you close your eyes and they get you real calm and mellow and they use rapid eye movement. Um, so it's called REM and it's what you go through in your sleep, mm-hmm. um, REM. And um, so basically you're looking at a light bar and it's just doing this back and forth with a light until your your brain thinks you're in a, a rapid eye movement. So basically like you're sleeping and they start talking to you about the trauma that happened one specific event at a time and they start having you think about how you felt you know what did you see what did you smell what did you hear what were you feeling and they also use tapping um to ground you so that you know you're in a safe place because that way your brain can process and be like okay i'm in a safe spot and it can properly file that trauma away and you can finally basically put it up on the shelf so it does take a licensed therapist to do um and I know it's pretty intense. It takes a couple, like multiple sessions for it to, ha- to actually take effect. But um, I've had a lot of people tell me to at least give it a try. Um, so it's something I'm signed up for uh, through my programming. We'll see what it does. <laughs> um, if anything, the way I look at it, it, it can only get better from here. You know, um, a big thing for me is, um, like I said, um, I got a little distracted there, um, going um, through my steps and, and really honestly working an honest program. It doesn't matter what program it is, you know, as long as it's something that's keeping me sober every day. Um, you know, like with what you've got going on with Addicts Anonymous, I think it's great um, because you don't have the stereotype like we talked about, you know, CA, um, Cocaine Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Sex Anonymous, you know, Gamblers Anonymous, whatever it is, there's such a stereotype out there now that this meeting is set this way and this meeting is this way and this Mm. runs this way. I love what you're doing with Addicts Anonymous. You know, I feel like as long as you know you have an addiction and you want to get clean and you want to stay sober and live a sober life, I think that's exactly what Addicts Anonymous is going to do. 
Um, yeah. And you're no now problem. part of the team helping us out. Yeah. And I love it. Um, so um, working the steps, um, I feel like when someone's working the steps, and again, I can only speak on, on my behalf and what I'm going through, um, you have to be very honest from the very beginning. Like work, admitting you're powerless over drugs or alcohol or whatever it is that you're working through in your life, you have to start being honest from the start. Because if you're not honest from the start, you know, you may get to whatever step you're on, you know, five, six, seven, you know, or 10, you know, if people are working in your workbook um, and you, you lied about something in the beginning or you left something out, you're going to fall back on that and you're just going to take yourself back and you're going to, you're going to miss a step somewhere, some place, and you're, you're going to fall right off the cliff and right back into the beginning. You know what I mean? And a lot of people don't know how to, to recognize it once they're falling because your mind will relapse before you physically relapse. So, I mean, just for people out there who are looking to work on steps or work through the steps, get a sponsor and call them daily. Call them multiple times a day, especially, you know, when you're first getting used to having it. Because that phone is going to feel like a million pounds until you actually finally pick it up and realize how easy it was. Yeah, absolutely. Someone finding a guide to walk you through the steps that they've already been through and somebody that showed them, that's obviously priceless. Because I know like um, you're a sponsor, um, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you you know what it's like from both ends then. Um, yeah. Yeah, for me, um, you know, I would say, like I said, about the first 30 days that I was in treatment, I thought I could just skate right by and not have to dig deep and get into my trauma or get into my old behaviors. And I'm like, that's the old me. Why are we focusing on it? It's done for a reason because it's not, it's not like I just one day picked up and said, Hey, I'm going to be an addict. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there is a family history that comes with it. And uh, I try not to let that kind of stigma get to me though. Um, granted that my mom and my brother are addicts as well. Um, it has a lot to do with how a person is brought up and the environment that they're in and what was around them when these things were happening. And um, it, it does, it takes a long time. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of practice in applying those steps to actually get through what you need to get through to become successful in recovery. Um, you know, I like, I do like how AA puts in there that, uh, you know, we never graduate from this program, any program, you know, um, or even Addicts Anonymous. It's not something you graduate with a, with a certificate or a diploma. It's something you will work at for the rest of your life. Yeah. And, you know, there for me, so when I go to the West Side here in Columbus, it used to trigger me to get onto Sullivan Avenue because that was what was considered the block or the prostitution street, whatever you want to call it. Um, I used to hate going out there because I was like, oh my God, like I'm back on this street again. Like what if somebody sees me? You know, it's not that like I was afraid anybody would see me, but I was more ashamed. You know what I mean? Because I don't live that life anymore. Um, but just like when I go down those streets, it's painful. Cause I look and I see those girls that I used to run around with and 
I used to think I was hot shit. You know, I was like, ooh, here I am, you know, and, and now I look at these girls and especially with it getting cold and winter time's coming up, you know, I'm like this, it scares me because I remember how cold I was last winter. You know what I mean? Um, I remember not knowing where I was going, where I was going to eat, you know, where I was going to get my next meal from. And I remember it being like, I think it was like negative something. It was snowing. The the wind chill made it like drop to the negatives. And I remember just shivering so bad and just praying like, God help me. I can't do this anymore. I can't. Um, I give up. And um, lo and behold, I was arrested. Uh, this is the second to last time I was arrested. I got arrested and I had warrants. So I went to jail. But guess what? I wasn't cold all winter you know, and I tried to do the right thing and get into programming, but unfortunately it fell through and I did relapse again, but I've stuck and stayed this time. So what are you doing nowadays to keep yourself sober? To keep myself sober? Yeah. Um, what, what's the, what's on the agenda daily? What, any, what type of things do you do? Oh, my program keeps me real busy. <laughs> um, there's little room for error. So um, my program in particular is very structured. Um, as you can see, I'm in sober living. Um, so that helps a, a great amount. Um, so my day starts off like this. I wake up and I pray first. Um, I get my Bible out. If there's something that's on my mind from the night before that was stressing me out, I open up my Bible or I reach out to one of my sponsors or to a sober support and I talk about it. And I pray about it. And then I get up. I'm usually up by six o'clock. Um, you know, I do my shower, brush my teeth, get my coffee, make sure my assignments are done from my groups. Um, and then I get picked up and I go to group. Um, and while I'm in group is where we work on stuff like abandonment, recovery, um, codependency. Uh, we did relapse prevention for I don't know how long. I hated those relapse prevention packets, but they work. So it only works if you work it. Um, and then, so after group, so I was in PHP when I first started, which is partial hospital hospitalization participant. Um, so I basically go to group all day long when I'm in PHP and I hated it because I would get out of group and I have no time to go home and eat and I'd be going into a meeting, an AA meeting, because my, my programming um, is AA it's a 12 step program. Um, so meetings, 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 meetings. I cannot stress it enough. Um, anytime I felt indifferent about something or I felt like taken off or I wasn't playing the tape all the way through, so to speak, I jump on his, on a meeting, on an online meeting. Um, we do go to in-person meetings, um, which is where I found my sponsor. Um, but for me, when they're like, oh, well, just double up on your meetings, you know, what? and I'm like, well, I can't just go out on my own because the programming I'm in, uh, you have certain levels. And once you get to a certain level, then you can go out to your own meeting or an outside meeting outside from the program. Or you have to be with like a, what we call an elder, um, someone who has multiple years of sobriety under them and have them take you out or staff. And transportation is a big problem, but that's any program. Um, but for me also, um, 
they have us do daily reflections. Um, so we read the daily reflection out of the AA um, book. Um, and then we also have nightly reflections. So what we do for our night re reflections, and we have to turn them in every morning, is we reflect on the entire day, you know, what we thought, what we felt, why it made us feel the way we felt. And um, our counselors read them and we have one-on-one -on -one sessions with, with our counselor. Um, each counselor is assigned, I think, up to 12 different people. Um, and we have uh, treatment team meetings, you know, to talk about progress and how we're doing, what we can work on, uh, what needs adjusted and fine tuning, or if it's just, a, hey, slow down a little bit, um, which is something I faced in my last treatment meeting. You know, it was a, hey, you need to slow down because you're about to burn out. You don't know it, but we, we know it because we're the professionals here. And I, for, for like a week, I was like, you guys are crazy. You know, you guys are just here to hurt me. And I was, I was starting to fall back into my old thoughts. And um, I really had to stop and, and look inside myself. Like, why did that bother me so much? And it bothered me because I've done it before. You know, I went to get clean and I burnt myself out like that. And before I knew it, again, my mind relapsed before I physically relapsed and I didn't even know it. So Yeah, I write about that. I don't I forget if it's in the book or one of the articles, but we call it prelapse, where it's a mental yeah. relapse. Mental there's a mental relapse and then there's physical relapse. This is true. And then also something that they talk about um in my programming is um the relapse uh gosh, I'm on the spot now. I can't think of it. Um it's it's ba basically breaking the the chain of the thought of addiction. So you've got the thought, you've got the fantasy, and then you have the actual doing of going out and relapsing. And if you get, if you keep using your coping skills that they teach you, you know, wait 24 hours, pray about it, write about it, talk about it. Um, there, we have like a list of like 40 different coping skills. And they say, as long as you are using those coping skills, you are taking yourself out of, uh, out of that relapse chain. And you're breaking it before you get to the fantasy of realizing and thinking and fantasizing about going out and using. So talk therapy is a huge thing in therapy. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't need the therapy. Yes, you do. You know, I know for me personally, the therapy part helps because, again, it's not just I woke up one day and said, hey, I want to be an addict. There are um, behaviors that need to be fixed. And I'm still working on it. And I don't have, you know, all the answers right now. And I, you know, there's some things I may never figure out. But um, it's progress over perfection for me. And I'll take that any day over any type of drug. All right. So do you have, well, I mean, you've given so much already, but just did you have anything else you want to add as far as advice for people watching and listening? Uh, advice for people um give yourself the chance you know I know what it's like to be out there um I know what it's like to be sick and tired of being sick and tired and I know what it's like to feel alone and like you don't have anybody um and to be scared you know you don't know what turning yourself in might do you know whether it be the law wants you or 
you have to actually face yourself, but I promise you it's worth it. And going into treatment has been the best thing I've ever done. I am building back my relationships. Um, I, I have a relationship with my 17 month old son who I thought I had lost for good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working on getting custody back of him. Um, and don't lose hope. You know, not every day is going to be perfect. Not every day you're going to want to get out of bed. You know, um, I had told you before, Jim, you know, there are days that I just wanted to hide under my blankets. I didn't want to go to class. I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, and I had felt like that for so long, you know, I'm like, why am I in treatment and feeling like this? You know, this is supposed to be making me better, but I promise you to the person who's listening, if you stick and stay and you suit up and show up, it's worth it. And as long as you are at least trying and they can see you're trying and you're giving a genuine effort, it will pay off. Um, you know, like I said, I can share 102 days clean. That is the longest I've ever been sober. And it's because I take the steps and I apply them in my life. And I have built a network of people around me. Uh, people, places, and things is a huge thing. And for those of you who are like people, places, things, what does that mean? So someone told me once, it's um, playgrounds, playmates, and playthings. You have to change it all. Um, you have to take a look at the people who are around you. And it may suck and it may hurt. Um, you know, if you're in a relationship that's abusive or violent or you're just flat out scared to leave, it takes a very brave and courage person to, to step out of that. And believe me, I know, but it, it does become worth it. Um, don't be scared and just know that when you come into programming or whatever it is you're going to do to get yourself sober, give yourself some compassion and give yourself some time to breathe. Once you do come in, don't, don't rush into it. Take it one day at a time because um, I have adapted the, the saying, you know, easy does it um, because you've put yourself enough through enough going through addiction, whatever addiction it is, you've already put yourself through enough and you've basically put yourself at rock bottom. So don't continue to keep yourself there. Let yourself grow. And give yourself time to do it, work your program and be honest from the very start. Cause if you're not honest from the start, when are you ever going to really actually get honest with yourself? This is true. So does you have anything else you want to add? No, I think that's it. You know, I just, I want people out there to know that, you know, there is hope and hope is found here. Um, you know, like I said, it's not all easy. Um, there are days I want to take my notebook and throw it at the teacher. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, I'm actually coming into what we call emotional sobriety. And um, it's where I don't let people get me out of character. You know, I'm okay with people telling me no now. I'm okay with people not wanting to be my friend because not everybody's here for the right reason. And if I bother you that bad, then what is wrong with you? because obviously you're seeing something in me that you don't like about yourself is what I'm figuring out um, and learning. And um, I know a lot of people take that as that I have a cocky or arrogant attitude. It's not that I just, I take my sobriety very serious and um, I put myself down for long enough um, 
I deserve to be the woman I'm becoming today. Um, I deserve to be around the people I'm around. And, um, you know, it's my time, you know, it's about me and, uh, I'm okay with that today. So if you don't like me, you can, there's the door. <laughs> Have a nice day. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> so, um, but you know, just, I know how scary it is. I really do. Um, I remember when I first got into sober living, I sat in my room for the first like two weeks. I didn't really talk to anybody. I knew two of the girls that were already here from jail, but, uh, I was scared and I cried like a little baby. Like, I'm like, I feel all alone. I'm scared. Why am I even here? These girls don't even like me. And those girls are now some of my best friends, you know, um, friendships are found in sobriety. So don't let people tell you that, you know, you came in alone, you're leaving alone. For some people that may be true, but I have built some of the best friendships here. Um, you know, I have shared some of my deepest and darkest secrets with these people and I'm honest with them. You know, when I, when I turn around and I screw up, I promptly admitted it. Why? Because I'm applying my steps. You know, um, one of them is when you're wrong, promptly admit it. And if you're not doing that, then you're not living, you may be living sober, but you're living a dry, sober life, which means you're not actually being sober. You're still in old behaviors. So you have to be willing to fix those behaviors in order to fix yourself. And what better way than to be honest? <laughs> All right. I like that. So thank you so much for doing part two with us. I really have to thank you. It's been a great episode. How do you feel? You like it? You like everything you did today? You said? I do. Um, you know. Got out your I, message? Yeah, I feel like I did. Um, you know, like I said, that last podcast, I just felt like something just a little bit was missing um, because I really wanted people to know that sobriety is possible. You yeah. know, that it's not all just about drugs and trap houses and dope people and the dope man and whatnot you know there are behaviors behind it as well and that those behaviors can be fixed but you can't do it alone you can't I don't care who says that they can do it all by themselves to truly get into recovery you're going to need help and it's okay to ask for help um you know that's what groups like Addicts Anonymous is for you know people reach out for help and and we're there to help and uh, I hope again, at least some type of inspiration to someone out there, you know, that it's possible. All right. Awesome. 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 It's been a great episode. So do me a favor and sit tight. Okay. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw on here, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out on all types of social media. We're on Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of resources as well as free literature. So that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time.